They talk of him as the man who reinvented football. The Dutch master Johan Cruyff died today, a player and then a manager who gave a whole new philosophy to football. You might even say gave us the modern, inimitable Barcelona as it plays today. Years ago, uh, all the history, sometimes came here an uh, Argentina coach and would play in the Argentina way, okay? A Dutch-German uh, uh, coach and would play in German way. Until arrived Johan Cruyff and said, okay, from now on we're going to play in that way. I was lucky enough to work for him at Barcelona for a year and he was even he was the best player in training most of the time even though he's obviously way past his, his sell by date in terms of playing. He was extraordinary as a coach. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the teams of our lives with myself and that man over there, Andy Brassel. Ah, oh, Spells, I'm looking forward to this one. Spells. Uh, this is this is not a team of our life, Andy, is it? It's a team of someone's lives. It's a team of someone's life. And it, it, it teams of our lives, it's not just Andy and I, it's, it's everybody, which means we can do any team in any era. <laughs> um, because today we are talking about the great Ajax sides of the early 1970s. Oh, Andy. Yes, we oh, are. Oh, Andy. It doesn't really get much better than this. No, it doesn't. Um, the second team to win at least three European Cups in a row in yeah. 71, 72, 73. As with quite a lot of these other teams of our lives or teams of other people's lives, and I'm sure mm-hmm. it's a delight to you and the listeners to learn that um, – I'm reincarnated, and uh, yes, I was around for this original one, probably as a as a cat or a horse or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe maybe one of those horses that used to lollop about uh, Wembley pitches at cup finals in 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 the old days. But um, <laughs> I, I think that there are a few Mister Bust about this AX era. But what everyone knows for our starting point is that. Um, this era of Ajax was one of the most influential teams, one mm. of the most influential philosophies in the history of European and um, world football. And we still continue to feel its influence today. Mm. Yeah. And, and when you put it like that, it, it, it just shows you that this is one of the most important teams in the history of football yes. as well, of course. And football in the Netherlands became professional in 1954, which I didn't actually realise. And, and so about is, a decade before Germany. I mean, that, that's, yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really I mean, interesting thing, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, of course, in England, it had been professional for quite a while, which is why England dominated uh, football for so many decades well, <laughs> and have won so I'm many really, World Cups. Um, I'm really yeah. glad you brought that up, actually, Marcus, because, yeah. of course, the establishment of Ajax as a successful mm. club and a successful team and actually the germ of total football starts mm. with Englishmen and Jack I, Reynolds. Think, I think we could exactly and I think we can we can forget that sometimes the fact mm. that um, this I guess missionary side of English coaching and mm. you know some names that we might know but aren't necessarily household names like Sir Alf Ramsey or yeah. Sir Bobby Robson or, or, or people like that. Um, and as you say, Jack Reynolds was, when he, he last won the league at Ajax in 1947, mm-hmm. 
only English coaches had ever won titles with Ajax, which yeah. is which is remarkable, really. And it was only after that that um, Dutch coaches end up picking up the baton, but not before Vic Buckingham comes mm. in. And uh, Vic Buckingham has two spells at Ajax. And of course, um, Buckingham, well, he's very much up our street because he coached both uh, Fulham and Sevilla. Of nice. course, over nice. over his career, top man. Oh. And um, this Vic Buckingham is so important for creating the basis for total football, and of course, therefore, is important in what happens at Barcelona and the sort of mm-hmm. football that Barcelona come become known for, which we'll come to later mm-hmm. down the line. Now, there's a, a Tottenham connection here because. Arthur Rowe, who is what I guess seven or eight years older than Vic Buckingham, they played together for a couple of years at Tottenham pre Second World War. And in the year that Vic Buckingham retires as a player and leaves Tottenham in 1949, is is kind of sliding doors because Arthur Rowe becomes the coach of Tottenham then, and then mm. he leads Tottenham to a first ever um, first division title in which was obviously then the league um, in 1951. And Arthur Rowe's ideas are quite revolutionary because he pioneers in English football this style called push and run, which is the (laughs) idea that you give the ball and then you keep going to receive it back. And it sounds like such a rudimentary idea now, but this was a massive step forward for football. And because there's the connection between Buckingham and Arthur Rowe, who know and respect each other, this is something that Vic Buckingham takes into his football going forward. It's something that he introduces at Ajax. And that idea of perpetual movement is absolutely key to what... Mm -hmm. Renus Mickles goes on and does later on what he takes to Barcelona, what Barcelona become today, what Ajax become known for, mm. all of that. And, and of course, the fact that Johan Cruyff becomes, I mean, he's the most influential European player ever. Whether you think he's the best European player ever. Mm. Okay. Maybe that's a pub discussion. And when we're allowed back out in them again. We'll as, bloody well have it. As, as we are about out, we'll be having these discussions mm-hmm. under the sun in pub gardens and, um, and and beyond. But he has, Vic Buckingham has an influence on Cruyff as well because in his first spell at Ajax, Cruyff is a 12-year-old youth player. When he comes back, his second spell isn't as successful and he eventually gets binned in, what, 60... Seven, I want to say. Anyway, in 1964, it gives Johan Cruyff his first team debut, which obviously is a pivotal moment in the history of Ajax and in the history of European football. You're absolutely right. It's funny when you talk about this um, the sort of missionary work, if you, as you sort of worded it, with English coaches going abroad. I, I sort of find that with English, or to extrapolate that out a bit, British um, ideas and so on. And, and it, this, this is a point. I'm, I, I, so this is a, a thought that I'm just going to offer you all. That I think there's, there's in this country, in Britain, there's, there's a real resting on your laurels. You can see this with all sorts of things, like with with what the Victorians did with regards to engineering. You think, 
you know, they were so ahead of their time. And then for subsequent sort of decades or even centuries, it's kind of like, yeah, well, we've done that, so we don't have to worry about that anymore. And then, of course, the rest of the world catches up and then overtakes. And then we find ourselves in a situation going, yeah, we don't do really anything on the engineering scene. We haven't done for absolutely <laughs> ages. And, and in terms of football coaching, my goodness, even now, England, I mean, Southgate's doing his best, damn it all. But, you know, even now, coaching, you know, this is the, the 1960s and 70s we're going back to, you know, English coaching. Okay, I understand since then there has been, you know, one or two English coaching, but, but still lagging way behind, you know, it's ridiculous. I, I think the interesting thing there, Marcus, is um, English influences shot through this story as as we said but mm-hmm. i think what's the, the most delicious little irony is the first time that ajax win the european cup and remember they're not the first dutch team to win the european cup no. because they lose the final in 69 against mm. milan they're absolutely hammered in the end 4-1 mm. and in the year in between that and 71 where they do finally win it Feyenoord win it for the first time, beating Celtic oh, no. in the final in, in 1970. Yeah. <laughs> and Feyenoord fans will never let you forget that. No, but that's by, right. by the time we get to 71, the final's at Wembley. Mm. And it was described, I think in a report in The Guardian at the time, as the most colourful match that's ever been played on English soil. Because mm. by that point, um, of course, you, you get a few Dutch fans traveling but you get a lot of green and white in the stands as well because by this point in the late 40s and 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 50s and going on into the 60s there's quite a large greek population in london Mm -hmm. as well and they're playing panathinaikos in the final so Mm. you you've you've got a lot of representation for them a, a cacophony that you don't normally get at games on english soil at that time and when you think as you were saying, how British coaches do so much to spread the word of football and spread mm. um, football thinking in the first part of the 20th century. But by the time you're into the second half of the 20th century, you've had um, the mighty Magyars come and absolutely yep. tear England to bits at Wembley. And now you have this which is the next big step forward in football, which again mm. happens in English on English soil, which is just as seismic on his work in its way, which involves the return of Ferenc Pushkash, who by this point is the coach of Panathinaikos to English soil, which is something that's completely missed out as well, because of course we focus on Ajax and how it's the start of their dynasty. So Wembley is this kind of, not even a touchstone for innovation, but this sort of um, Mm. almost passive vessel for innovation in European and world football is is really fascinating. Yeah. And and as well, I find it interesting going back a few years with with how it all came to be with this Ajax side. When when Meikles is appointed manager in 1965, they were nearly relegated the previous season. Mm. So they then win the league in his first season and it's a run of four league titles in a row and when he arrives he says we're going to make this club more professional we're going to you know he was a bit of a disciplinarian quite an intense man and 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 started to develop that sort of total football style over 
those first few years didn't happen instantly of course how could it but you know the amount of players that he kind of coaches as well Cruyff Naskins Rep Kroll and and whatnot he's he's nicknamed the general because he's he's that type of guy but also in the wider context it was the 1960s and and somebody wrote somewhere that 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 the sort of the the cultural revolution that was going on in uh, a lot of the Western world at the time, you know, someone like Johan Cruyff really kind of understood that, and he understood football, and it's one of the reasons why he's so iconic, and how this team meant a lot to the people, and it all sort of culminates in this 1971 European Cup final, even though we're into the 70s now. Yeah, it's, it's as you say, um, Cruyff not just as a as a player, but as an icon, almost as a as, as a, a way of life, certainly a way of of, of playing football, and you know the the freedom and the new way of doing things that's associated mm. with him is is very important. Having freedom so- of expression, absolutely, absolutely, mm. and he's someone who always stands for that, doesn't he? Because of <laughs> like, when you look at him later, not just in his like, you know defending his beliefs for uh, in terms of football to the absolute hilt but when you think of when he's at barcelona and mm. the way like pre the breakup of the dictatorship he's still someone who um quite expresses his his, his support for for catalonia who's someone mm. who names his son after Jordi, after the patron saint of, of of Catalonia, you know, someone who is is not afraid to, to to go his own way. Having said that, when we're looking at the seventy one final, which is the start of everything, when we're like reading out the myths here, when we look at that run of three um, European Cups in seventy one, seventy two, and seventy three, um, as we said, Ajax not the first Dutch team to win it. Um. Cruyff, at that point when they arrive in London, it feels like a coming-of-age moment for him because before that, there's quite a a strong body of opinion that this is Pete Kaiser's team, that Mm. it's not Cruyff's team, that Kaiser and his magnificent left foot crafts it all and Cruyff just gets the glory, finishes the moves off and and has has a, a handsome little flick of his hair. That feeling starts to to change. Then the other thing, when we're demythologizing this this period of Ajax, is the fact that Renus Renus Mikkels is only in charge for the first one of those three. You That's know, right. Yeah. The, the the other two are, are Stefan Kovac, uh, the mm. Romanian coach, and it, it's it's funny because Kovac actually goes on to have a, a massive influence on European football himself. He kind of sets the table after he leaves Ajax. Um, for for France and for Michel Hidalgo there in the he talks when he gets the France job about um, creating a foundation developing the team you know maybe we'll have a, a great team in six eight ten years which is quite a brave thing to come out with in a press conference yeah. Yeah, <laughs> when, yeah. You, when, you, when you're talking about something it's managing expectations and and, and then some um, but Hidalgo, who was his assistant, took so much from him and then went on to win Euro 84. And Kovac, when you look at Ajax and, you know, if if people have their, you know, back of a fag packet tick list of what this Ajax team of the early 70s mean, 
like Kovac very rarely gets any credit. He's someone who's, oh, well, you know, that they, they, they sorted it out for him. <laughs> and, you know, he's, yeah. he's just a caretaker and the team probably managed yeah, themselves yeah, yeah, by yeah, that yeah, point, yeah. which is, which is not true. Of course. Would you, there's, I mean, there's an element, uh, maybe there's an element that he's the sort of the Bob Paisley to, to, to Mikkel's Bill Shankly, perhaps. Sim- I don't similarly know. Maybe, underrated. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's, maybe that's too much. I don't know, but, um, I, th- I think uh, I think it's a fair comparison. I think it's okay. a really, really fair comparison. Yeah, but it's funny because Mikel's left Ajax in 1971 after that win to go to Barcelona, saying he felt he could, he's he done all he could at uh, Ajax, or he sort of achieved what he wanted to achieve because he had been there since '65. You know, he'd been there for a fair few years and they'd won yeah. an enormous amount of trophies uh, and they'd played some great football and he'd set the template for that side. And Kovac. Of, of course, it's harder to get something started. That is the hardest thing to do. But it's it's also a skill to keep that going and to and to a not very get underrated in the way of skill. It. A very yeah, to, underrated skill. Absolutely, I, to I, kind of I guide guess, it. I guess that the difference is if people are looking for a reason why Kovac's job was easier, it does come back to Cruyff, because mm. not only is Cruyff an incredibly incredibly influential player he's already at the age of 24 going on 25 an incredibly influential thinker as well he's 24 when they mm. win against Panathinaikos in 71 and we've just got to go back and say Panathinaikos are a really good side as well yeah they knocked Everton out in the quarters who were a, a, a decent side who people believed had a genuine chance of going on and winning the whole thing and um, you know they created enough in that game. And it's interesting that Michels makes that double sub at half time to protect the defense, actually, in, in that game at, um, at Wembley against, against Panathinaikos. Um, but what you really notice, I think, when you watch a, a replay of the, the 71 final is, as I said, the, the idea of them moving on from that suspicion that they were Kaiser's team. Now, Kaiser has a great game in the 71 final. But with Cruyff, it's not just his movement. It's not just his prompting. It's not just the turn that you see as well. It's the, the stuff that he does when he's not on the ball. The fact that he points everyone into position. He's like the orchestra conductor. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. And mm. uh, to me, the, the stuff, the demeanor of Cruyff off the ball is at least as interesting as him on it because you're seeing mm. not just him as a leader, but someone who's very self-aware, very conscious of his position of yeah. a leader as almost like a, a technical director on the pitch, really. Yeah. I, yeah, you can't understate that enough. Um, so we, we we sort of fast forward 1972 European Cup final. They beat Inter 2-0 in the final. Um, back-to-back European Cups, and this is this is tremendous stuff. And Kovac, is, is, you know, he at times people saying, "Oh, is he going to lose his job?" And one or two others. Apparently, the players uh, they they liked him because he was le- far less intense than mm. than than Meikles. And, and and you need that on a human level, don't you? Y- you do. I think with yeah. with with a coach like old Renus, that intensity can only be kept up for so long. I think for sure. Yeah, and. It's something, though, that people sometimes maybe don't realise is within the total football system, 
you have players interchanging positions, of course. They're big on pressing the opposition. They're big on zonal um, marking and the way of doing things, uh, the use of the offside trap, all that kind of stuff. But there's also um, room for individual flair within that. And I think Kovac, he, he, he let some of the players off the lead a bit more and they would have probably enjoyed it perhaps a little bit more than they had done under Meikles, who was very much, you know, drilling them. You know, he was the general, as I say, for, for crying out loud. Yeah. And so they win that, win that, that European Cup 2-0. But it's, it's the, the last European Cup win of that three in a row, which I find quite fascinating. They play Juventus, who um, are a great opponent, known for being defensively astute and and very, very stern. And Ajax go 1-0 up after five minutes and and essentially then just kind of knock it around and see the game out, really. I mean, you, according to the reports, Juventus didn't show much attacking intent. Um, but, but at this point, everyone's aware of Ajax. Everyone's kind of maybe a little bit scared of them mm. and knowing what they're capable of. And Juventus may have thought, well, I'll tell you what, they've gone 1-0 up after five minutes. We don't want this to get worse. We know we can defend well. So let's just stay in the game. And Ajax think, well, that's fine. We just knock it around and, and take it easy. But Ajax fans, according to some, came away feeling a little disgruntled from this. And and this is because they'd been so good in the previous rounds against Bayern and Real Madrid. You know, there's that famous mm. moment in the Bernabeu when Gary uh, Muren is his name, doing keep-ups in the Bernabeu and the home fans just being amazed at this uh, amazing Ajax side and, and skill and the gall of them and, and all that kind of stuff. So the fans wanted a bit more excitement. And I just wonder, Andy, with that, that last European Cup win in 73, the way it played out, and then what we saw in the final of the 1974 World Cup the year later, the players becoming complacent and maybe even too arrogant because people because they'd almost thought, well, we've completed football. It's too easy for us to win. We've got our system. No one can touch us. And again, to make a leap from that 73 European Cup final to the World Cup final in 1974, I, I, I don't think it's too much of a leap. But what, I mean, what do you think to all that? Well, I, th- I think there's something to be said by th- that, that idea that they ruled by fear, certainly by the time you get to mm. 73. Because you look at the way they start that 73 final in Belgrade. Mm. They start it brilliantly. And... Johnny Rep's winner is an underrated European Cup final winning goal, I would say. The header is absolutely perfect. And remember, mm-hmm. you're not just beating anyone, you're beating Dino's off. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a perfect header that he cannot stop despite being in a reasonably good starting position. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ajax go on and, you know, they, they, they play well enough to possibly score again. Um, mm-hmm. But you know they're they're happy to they're happy to almost contain. Uh, you never yeah. feel as if they're on the back foot. And I know a lot of neutral observers internationally felt for that reason, and because maybe Juventus were a bit spooked by them. And you know, I, th- I think what happened to Inter in the seventy-two final was was part of that because you know mm-hmm. that Argent uh, that um, Inter side was of. A, a very good defensive side and they just got taken to bits. I mean, that is often thought of as the peak of total football, isn't it? The 72 final in which mm. Cruyff absolutely runs riot. And they're, they're in this 
almost home atmosphere because it's at De Kuyp in, in, in Rotterdam with a, a, mm. a lot of Ajax fans having come down the road to see them. And, you know, there's, there's a certain mania to it. So I can understand why, you know, Juventus are a, a little bit more cautious and just want to stay in the game and find a way to try mm. and incrementally get back in the the, the, the game from, from there. But I, I don't know if you can say winning it in a different way and realizing they have to adapt and play slightly differently. I'm not sure if I think that's an expression of arrogance. I just think that's 74 World Cup final was definitely arrogance had crept in. Yeah, I I think look, that's, that's another argument. I think, sure. I think with this, it's, it's, it's a little bit different. And also the feeling is, which is very separate from what the Netherlands did in 74 that they know something is coming to an end. Because just after this, Cruyff leaves, of course. He becomes the most expensive player in the world, rejoining Michels at at Barcelona. And then he goes on to change Barcelona's history in a way that only he knows how, in in tandem with with Michels. But you look at the end of this as well. I I find the pictures fascinating when Cruyff goes up to to pick up the European Cup because he swaps shirts afterwards. He's wearing a Juventus shirt as he lifts the European <laughs> Cup. Uh, who does that? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's remarkable. Just, it's, it's like he's in his own front room with his carpet slippers on. So in terms of he things does becoming, what he wants, Andy. <laughs> it, uh, yes, in terms of things coming a little bit more, becoming a little bit too comfortable. I see where mm. you're coming from 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 that angle, certainly. Mm. I mean, yeah, I mean, when all said and done, though, I mean, this is one of the most incredible periods in football and for a, f- to come from a country, which, of course, we now know is the great one of the great um, footballing nations. But because of this period before yes. that, you didn't have anything that it, before the 1974 World Cup. I think they'd only played in one. Was it in the 30s? Something like that. You know, they yeah. did not have pedigree in, in, in that tournament. So the first World Cup that they play in in the modern era, they reach the final. And I know we're talking about the Netherlands as if they're Ajax, and I know that that's not quite right because, you know, Ajax did, um, not, didn't provide everybody in that tournament. And, and, and Velibor Vasovic, who was a key man for, for the Ajax side in the 60s and, and 71, you know, was from former Yugoslavia. But still, though, you can, yeah. you can sort of package this up a little bit um, by and large. And David Winner, who wrote, you know, Brilliant Orange, uh, mm. he, he speaks of the, the arrogance and the complacency that crept in before the 74 World Cup. But you could make a very strong argument to say that that Netherlands side is the best team to to never have won the World Cup, and they should have yes. won it in '74. Yes. But Michels did win Euro '88, so he did win uh, something. He did Netherlands, you know, it's the um, that's their only uh, major trophy, um, and and he did win it. And I'll and I'll I'll if I may, Andy, sum it all up with a quote from Michels, who said, "I am especially happy that I have been able to help make the Dutch way of playing famous all over the world. If I had a tail, I would wag it." <laughs> oh that's magnificent anything to add andy not really uh, I, 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 think, I think a great well, man has uh summed it up all all there yeah but you're right in saying without this we wouldn't know barcelona of course the way they are and and uh and all sorts of other uh inc- incredible um uh, inspiration that that was provided for so many teams around the world and, and, and so on and so forth. 
Oh, let's all have a lie down, Andy. That was uh, very <laughs> enjoyable talking to you about that. Thank you very much, my good man. Let's do it again sometime. <laughs> Perhaps next week for another Teams of Our Lives. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everybody. See you then. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network.